Hey everyone, welcome back to our podcast, Very Factual. We're your hosts, Kayla and Isabella, and Chelsea finally announced the signing of Moises Caicedo on Monday after Caicedo rejected Liverpool. He's coming from Brighton for a British record fee of £115 million, beating his teammate Enzo Fernandez, who Chelsea splashed out on for another record-breaking £106 million last January. Um, Caicedo will join the club on an eight-year deal and will also be linking up with former teammates Robert Sanchez and Mark Cucurea. Kayla, what do you think? Chelsea getting Caicedo. Um, I think it's really good since he's only 21 years old. He's literally a ball-winning machine. Like, they deserve, Chelsea deserves Caicedo. Like, they needed someone in the middle of the park to help protect defense and provide Enzo Fernandez with a perfect partner. Um, he's a versatile performer, although he's, like, best in the middle. He can play other positions. Like, Roberto De Zerbi started Caicedo at right back three times in the Premier League last season. Yeah. Like he signed to play midfield. However, he's at he's an added boost for Pochento, Pochettino. Yeah, Pochettino. <laughs> I I agree with a lot of what you said. He's very quick and firm and more defensive. He pops up wherever he's needed, and he moves around the field well. He'll fit in nicely with Gallagher as Gallagher is more central. And you were talking about how he's a perfect partner for Enzo Fernandez, as you know, Enzo is now taking up like a more advanced role, as we saw under Pochettino, a uh, role that's kind of more moving forward. And we saw that in Chelsea's first game in the Premier League this season, um, as everything was going through him, uh, he attempted 94 passes and completed 90% of them in that game. And I'm just so happy that Chelsea finally mm-hmm. got their guy. After like season long long links, like they've been linked to him since last season, and I'm just so excited that they finally got their guy. And the price, it's a bit high, very high, but I think it really tells you how important the midfield position is for the teams. As you know, we saw Enzo Fernandez go last season for 106 million pounds. Uh, Declan Rice this season went for 100 million pounds. Mason Mount went for uh, 60 million pounds to Man United. And I know that he's not in the Premier League, but Jude Bellingham also went for 100 million pounds to Real Madrid. And I think the midfield position is kind of like the most important. It It is. It definitely is. So we did get to see a bit of how Caicedo fared in his debut today when Chelsea took on West Ham. In the beginning of the game, Chelsea's keeper was called on after five minutes. After five minutes passed, denying West Ham the opening goal after a corner. Just two minutes later, West Ham delivered the same ball by new signing James Ward-Prowse and Nayef Aguard headed the ball past Robert Sanchez. Chelsea responded well to being 1-0 down, with many chances occurring for the Blues. Carney Chukwameka made his shot on target in the 28th minute and leveled for the Blues right before halftime. Chelsea had a chance to take the lead when Raheem Sterling was fouled inside the box and Enzo Fernandez stepped up to the spot just to see his shot saved by Alfonsi Areola. In the 53rd minute, Axel de Sassi lost possession and Michael Antonio uh, pounced on the lost ball and drove it 
low to the back of the net, giving West Ham the lead. Right on the hour mark, Chelsea decided to put in Caicedo. Uh, West Ham had a higher mountain to climb as Aguard's challenge had him receive a second yellow card and was dismissed from the game. The Hammers wrapped up the game and at a time as Caicedo conceded a penalty for Chelsea and Lucas Paqueta put it back into the net, making a dreadful debut for the British record signing. Kilo, what did you think of his debut? Do you think he did good or something? Yeah, I think he could have definitely done better considering his like uh, motivation and his history as a player, honestly. I feel like um, he didn't do awful, but he definitely has more potential than what he showed today. Yeah, for sure. I think a lot of people are going to be on him now, saying how he's a flop and blah, blah, blah. But I actually have, like, sympathy for him. Um, This is, like, this is Chelsea, and it's a huge global team, and there's so much pressure on you when you put up on that shirt because it's such a historic club. And, yes, he did look really off-pace and made many mistakes, but Pochettino literally said in the press conference the day before that, he wasn't, he's not physically and mentally ready for the game. And I think he brought him on in this game because Chelsea fans wanted to see him and see how their new signing was. And I think he'll really bounce back. And it's so nerve wracking when you cost 115 million pounds and everyone expects you to be perfect. I'm still optimistic and I know that he'll perform well for Chelsea in the future. Caicedo wasn't the only signing Chelsea stole from Liverpool as Chelsea and Liverpool's battle for midfielders continued as Chelsea beat Liverpool for Romeo Latvia, the 19-year-old from Southampton, who will join the Blues for a rumored £53 million deal plus add-ons. Chelsea announced Latvia on Friday and signed a seven-year contract. I think it's good that they're trying to bring in younger players. But then again, I don't think they really needed him all that much. But I think he'll be kind of more of like a bench player, especially like, you know, he won't start every game. And I think he's really there for a future because I'm pretty sure his contract, yeah, it was a seven-year contract. So he's going to be there for a while. And I think we'll be able to see how he, he's more of a future player. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, like Chelsea. you said. Oh, sorry. <laughs> Go ahead. I said, like you said, um, like he's really young, and as they don't really need him as much, but he probably will become an asset in the future. Yeah, maybe in like a year or two. In the way future, seven. Way. That's a long time. <laughs> Chelsea were also close to getting Crystal Palace's number seven, Michael Elise, but he shut down those links with signing a new four-year contract with Palace. Kayla, what do you think of that? Do you think Chelsea needed Michael Elise? Um, I don't think that they absolutely needed him. I feel like it would have helped them for sure, but um, he turned them down because he thinks his future in Palace, because he thinks in Palace his future can become better. He'll have like he'll be able to develop like as a better player, and he probably will be a better asset in Palace. But um, Chelsea did really like 
Did they, like, push for him? Is that right? Yeah, like, they were, like, really pushing for him. Like, they had a 35 million pound um, recause, and still, um, Olise went with Chelsea, Crystal Palace. <laughs> See, actually, I actually think Chelsea needed him. I think, this is just my opinion. Mm-hmm. Maybe it's because the only really, because Olise is a naturally right winger, and the only white right winger we have is Nani Madueke, and he is currently injured. So I think, you know, having him would be good, and having Madueke on the bench would be better. And he's, Olise is also very versatile, and he can also play in the midfield. And I'm kind of sad that he did sign the contract. Like, I remember looking on the Premier League app, and I saw that he signed the contract. <laughs> Like, no, I was like, no, I actually would have really enjoyed him at Chelsea if he came. But some bad news for Chelsea as our captain, Reese James, will be out for a couple weeks due to another hamstring injury. Every season, James has been out for a couple months with the same injury. And I think it's just, it's horrible, Kayla. What do you... Yeah, so he suffered this injury during training, and he's going to be on the sidelines for a few weeks. But since he's been injured before, I don't think that Chelsea will take a huge toll on him being out for some time because they've dealt with an issue like this before in Reese James' position, being Reese James. <laughs> yeah, I think it's since this has happened multiple times, I think it's now that we should take a look at the medical staff and the rehabilitation program because it's obviously not working if he keeps getting injured in the same place every season. Like, it's annoying. You need to find something different that actually works for the player than just doing the same thing. You have to, like, adapt to the player because all players are different. Yeah, I agree. And since it was during um, training, it could have, something much worse could have happened during a game. Which, yeah. like you said, they need to think of a better rehabilitation way. I think it's horrible that this like injuries happen to players because it's so detrimental to their careers, and it could lead to an even worse injury. Like getting injured every season and being out for a couple of weeks definitely, you know, you're not getting any younger. And I think a football career is so short that you don't have time to be out for weeks at a time mm-hmm. or months, season after season. But Oh, we wish Reese James the best. Comeback in controversy at Anfield where Liverpool took on Bournemouth. The game started with a shock early goal by Bournemouth by Antoine Semeno. Luis Diaz continued his scoring streak by equalizing in the 28th minute. Controversially, Liverpool were awarded a penalty after Dominic Chavezlai softly went down. Salah saw his penalty saved, but pounced on the rebound and put Liverpool ahead. Right before the hour, Alexis McAllister was shown a straight red card after producing a late tackle on Ryan Christie. Shortly after, Diogo Jota sh- secured the win for Liverpool after capitalizing on the spillout by Bournemouth keeper Neto. Liverpool got away with this game, but next week they have Newcastle away, and with no Alexis McAllister, um, the in the midfield is still a bit shallow. It's a bit troubling for Liverpool as they've been rejected three times in a row by midfielders like Bellingham, Caicedo, Latvia. Yes, and speaking of Bellingham, um, I feel like he would have definitely been an asset for Liverpool's midfield troubles because he chose real. He went to Real Madrid rather than Liverpool, 
But seeing his progress scoring two goals in a game recently, like he would have definitely helped Liverpool become more um, put together and stronger as a whole team. Stable, yeah. Yeah. I think, you know, it's a bit upset because it's like, it's Liverpool. Yes. How? I mean, also, he's going to very nicely develop in Real Madrid. And then when he gets to the mm-hmm. Premier League, he will be able to face a lot of teams. Yeah, since he's so young, you know, he still has time to come here. Mm-hmm. Real Madrid is the best team in the world. And, uh, you know, being young there and, like, you know, learning. And he'll come to the Premier League in a few years. And, you know, it'll be, like, unstoppable. Yeah. You know, I think Liverpool knew that they needed a midfield rebuild since last season, maybe even earlier. Like. We saw Fabinho and Henderson. They were getting older, so they went to Saudi Arabia. Um, Thiago Alcantara is currently injured, and they only really have Dominic Shabazzai, Alexis McAllister, and Cody Gakpo, and young players like Harvey Elliott and Curtis Jones. And Liverpool, you know, now they're kind of scrambling to get in another midfielder before the transfer window ends, but... They have confirmed this lesser-known player from the Bundesliga by the name of Wataro Endo from Japan. He went. He underwent his medical on Thursday, and the Reds will get him for a fee of fifteen point four million pounds. Or I think that was the rumored fee, but I think it's now mm-hmm. it's nineteen million pounds. And um, you know, it's good that they got a midfielder at least. I mean. What I've heard about this player, I haven't heard of him ever. I was just listening to a podcast and people mm-hmm. were like, everyone, everyone like loves him. He's very, he's very, he has good leadership. He's very like smart in his decisions. And, you know, yes, for them for at least getting somebody. Yes, it's very good. Yeah. They help them as a team. I think something that is a bit disappointing, though, is that we can't see Trent Alexander-Arnold play in the midfield because they don't have a good enough right back to replace him. They only have Tim Akas, but he's he's not a starter. He's no. a bench player. You know, if a player gets tired, he'll come on. And I think they maybe should have got a right back so we could see Trent play in midfield because he's a good midfielder. Yes, and Trent already works his way up the field as a defender. If he was just in midfield, he could play a defensive midfield while still um, having that position and opportunity to move up the field when he gets to. Like you said, there's no one to replace him in right back. Yeah, I think, you know, they should have went for a right back. I'm kind of disappointed in their transfer window this season because they usually have a good one they usually have like the best recruitment but now you know three rejections from three like highly rated I mean Latvia is a bit young I wouldn't say he's highly rated but these midfielders and I said they'll end second place but now I'm a bit worried because of their lack of depth in the midfields Bournemouth have confirmed the signing of new addition Tyler Adams. Bournemouth will get the USA captain for a fee of twenty million pounds. Kayla, do you think this is a good move for Tyler Adams as a player? I honestly don't think it's a great move for him because he's had better links. He's had links with like better clubs like, like Chelsea. Arsenal, yeah. Mm-hmm. 
and he can build himself much better in other clubs with him being also the, with him also being the USA captain. And he came from Leeds, which I feel like if he just stayed there maybe for a year longer or he moved to a different club, he definitely would have been able to build his career better in the Premier League. Yeah, I think I think this is more of a good move for Bournemouth than it is for Tyler Adams, if that makes sense. Because yeah. Bournemouth, I think they'll probably be fighting relegation again this season. I think Tyler Adams is better than Bournemouth. As, as you said, he was linked to Arsenal and the Chelsea deal. He was linked to Chelsea for a bit. We almost got him, but that deal fell through. I think he has really good leadership qualities, and we saw that at Leeds. Like, because there was a bunch of American players there. Like, there was Brendan Aronson, Weston McKenney was there on loan, um, and Ty Adams. Um, I think out of all those players that were there, he looked like the best one there. And I think he could have went to a better team. Mm-hmm. And I understand if he kind of wants to take it easy and kind of like you know not put himself on like a big scale like that but I think he has he can you know yeah he can I feel like he'll being surrounded by also those players in the higher clubs will definitely help him um not like stick out as a great player anymore he'll be able to develop much easier like develop to that higher standard quicker there's not really American players that are on like the biggest I mean there's been some transfers like Yunus Musa went to AC Milan, um, Timothy Weah went to Juventus, but that's in Serie A. Mm-hmm. And Christian Pulisic's also AC Milan. I forgot about that. Yes. In the Premier League, there's not really like a big American player on the top scale. And I think that would have been good for Tyler Adams. The first home game for Ange Postacoglu's side, ended in success as Spurs dominated Manchester United 2-0. Yeah, for me personally and all the other Manchester United fans, it was a sad loss of 2-0 with an own goal by our very own Lissandro Martinez. There were four yellow cards given, and three of them were to the Manchester United players, Juan Basaka, Anthony, and Bruno Fernandes. Yeah, the captain. The Red Devils had a chance for a penalty in the first half, as it looked like Christian Romero had a touch of the ball in the goal box as an effort on goal, but that was quickly waved away. I think it really should have. It should have. In a handball. I mean, like, I know there's, like, a natural motion, but, like, I think you can kind of have your hand down. I mean, yeah. So, and often with natural motions, they usually call handballs on it no matter what because it touched your hand, it interfered with the play. But obviously, if you have your hands on by your side and it touches your hand, you can't call that because you can't, you know, yeah. you can't hide your hands anywhere. But I think, you know, people said that, that sh- you know, it should have, the decision should have stayed and it did. But I personally think it should have been a handball, which they I agree with you. You know, Spurs came quite close to getting the lead right before halftime after hitting the crossbar twice. Right after halftime, Spurs finally got their goal after Kulisevsky's cross deflected to the path of Pape Matarsar, who scored his debut goal for Spurs. United's Anthony hit the woodwork for the third time after curling the ball, beating Vicario, but was able to churn out an amazing save to stop the Casemiro header from entering. The game was 
the game with Spurs when Perisic's low cross was miscalculated, like you said, Kayla, by Lissandro Martinez into his own net. What happened in this game? What happened to Man United? I don't know. I was very confident in them winning against Spurs because we both had them as under as an underachieving team. And the game was played with equal possession and equal shots on net. For me personally, the first half was pretty shocking because no one scored. There were, like you said, two crossbar shots from Spurs, which definitely shocked me. And Bruno Fernandes got injured early in the game in the seventh minute, but then got back on. But overall, the game was aggressive with constant fouls. And I think Manchester United went into this game very confidently, but weren't prepared as a team to face the Spurs and how much they could have actually um, bought to the table. They both don't have the best away team away game records yeah um but i think that uh united could have definitely stepped up a little bit throughout the game and onana made some pretty good saves however since he's still young i think he needs to get used to the pace and the intensity of playing in the premier league and he's still not used to that which makes me a little bit worried for the rest of the season i think personally you can't blame a goalkeeper no, I'm not blaming. I'm just saying, like, since he's still young. No, I'm not saying you're blaming him. I'm just saying, like, I know a lot of people are like, oh, flop, flop, flop. But, like, an own goal, you can't do anything about that. I mean, yeah. like, I have experience. I have. <laughs> I hate it when people go after goalkeepers like that. It's, you yeah. Know, he's learning. It's a different league. Exactly. He's got different a different pace with everything. Yes. And I think. The simple answer why Manchester United didn't win this game is that they couldn't finish their chances. And I'm not trying to say that to be rude or like, you know, bash your team, Kayla. But Rashford and Anthony had a crazy amount of chances, but they couldn't like finish any of them. Fernandez, he had probably the miss of the season in that goal. He like completely missed the whole goal. And I think it shows how bad they do need a striker. They need a number nine. And I think we see that Rashford isn't going to repeat the form he had last season. Mm -hmm. How much it pains me to say this, I do agree with you with that. They just need a fresh striker. They need that number nine. <laughs> yeah, I think they're waiting for Hoyland now. You know, their number 20-year-old number nine from Atalanta. He's not. He's injured currently, but when he he's unproven, and I feel like they're gonna rely on him so much now. I don't think he's gonna. You know, he's not gonna be scoring left and right like exactly. You know, I think it's it's very concerning. Almost like <sighs> I if Hoyland doesn't start good, they're gonna struggle, and I'm kind of like nervous for them to be honest this season. I am too. Like I was very confident considering how last season went for them. But what if it's just a replay of two seasons ago where oh, no. they weren't playing no. their absolute best? And I really just hope that doesn't happen because I know that Eric Ten Hag really, really has the motivation to keep the team going where they need to be. Yeah, I think something positive about Manchester United in this game is that the defense as a whole, I think, played a really solid game. And I really think... They did all they could. I mean, Lissandra Martinez, you know, crosses into your own box are kind of difficult because you mm -hmm. try to clear it and you just hit it worse, like badly, and then it goes into your own net. Obviously, he didn't mean to do it. 
own goals happen to everyone. You can't blame him too hard, especially, like you said, crossing over the box. I think he was trying. He was trying to defend. The Manchester United overall could not just depend on the defense to win that game. They needed yeah. to work as a team. You need forwards. You need yeah. who can score the goals because without that, you're not going to get anywhere. And I know mm-hmm. we're saying Manchester United were going to be title contenders maybe, but they're not. And I think we can see that. And I think As of right now, as it looks, you, they don't look like they're going to be title contenders. At all. And I think something that made it even worse, maybe I was kind of, you know, it was a bit happy for me. Your new midfielder, Mason Mount, former Chelsea boy, was completely anonymous he was invisible and that's not to blame anything on Manchester United but just him as a player I can't tell you one thing he did in the game like I, I honestly all I honestly didn't even notice when he got substituted like he he was so invisible in that game you couldn't even tell him apart from the other players like he didn't contribute much at all during the entire game during our Premier League predictions, I said I didn't have my mind made up on him, but now I think he's going to struggle being mm-hmm. inside. I think we saw that with Sancho, like, when he, he did a few seasons ago, and he's still struggling, basically. And I think it's a bit sad because at the start of the Thomas Tuchel era for Mason Mount, he was incredible. Like, everyone's saying he's going to be, like, the next big thing, but he fell off last season for Chelsea and now he has to work really really hard to like show himself again rebuild his name again yeah and it really looks like this United team needs some inspiration because they do look dull they look yeah I feel like they don't have that push from not only fans but also they're like um like like the teams like not the teams their own players aren't really supporting each other pushing each other on the field like Roy Keane, I was actually watching the Sky Sports thing yesterday, and Roy Keane, Men United legend, said that United are the next Spurs, and that United players are they should blame themselves. Mm-hmm. I see. I like partially agree with that. I mean, I don't. <laughs> Spurs are Spursy. They're gonna lose games this season. Mm-hmm. As well. You know, they're they're Spurs. I don't think United are that bad because they definitely the players. Yeah, I was going to say, you can't, like, blame just the players. There's obviously other things that go into play. However, the players are a big factor of it. Because they have... Everything. Mm-hmm. That's what Sorry, but they have, like, the um the drive if they just had more motivation as a team. Oh, on Wednesday, City won the Super Cup game against Sevilla on penalties after a 1-1 draw. It was a bit of a warm-up game for City, I would say. Um, for the Premier League games ahead, as new signings played, Guardiol played, and players were getting used to each other. Some losses for City in this game is that obviously there is no more Ilkay Gundogan and Kevin De Bruyne will be out for a couple months, and Bernardo Silva was out sick, and that's a lot of creative players to lose. Sevilla opened City a bit on the counterattack, which is a bit of a concern, but also not really, because this game is not one that's going to shape City's season, I would say. And Sevilla had a lot of chances, but City focused more on the possession aspect on this game, and they dominated the game and ended up with a whopping 74% possession. 
they won the Super Cup game, but and then they went back to play Newcastle on Saturday, which was a hard-earned win for City. Um, Alvarez scored the first and only goal of the game in the 31st minute after Foden laid the ball in the path of the World Cup winner. The game went pretty back and forth, with Newcastle also in super top form. Foden and Haaland both missed crucial chances that would give City more breathing room. Uh, Harvey Barnes came into the game and rejuvenated the Newcastle side after striking a ball 25 yards out, testing Ederson. Sheffield United is City's next opponent, which is kind of more relaxing, I would say, while Newcastle take on Liverpool at home. The biggest loss for City in this game, some people might say, is that there is no Kevin De Bruyne. We saw Kovacic and Rodri play as defensive midfielders and Grealish, Alvarez, and Foden were like the attacking midfielders, but you know, the biggest loss is that there's no Kevin De Bruyne. He's going to be out for three to four months after sustaining an injury in City's first game against Burnley, which was the same injury he sustained in the Champions League final. Pep has came out and said in a press conference that Kevin De Bruyne will get surgery as soon as possible, and it looks like online after pictures surfaced that he did get the surgery. So I got to ask you, Kayla, do you think City losing Kevin De Bruyne will be a loss? Um, I don't exactly think it'll be a loss, but I definitely think it will impact them slightly. Since he's out for three to four months from a hamstring injury, um, it is quite some time to lose him. But And of course, no one can like replace De Bruyne. But Foden definitely did help, as he did in Saturday's encounter with Newcastle. De Bruyne is a star player for City, and it may impact them, but City has some strong players all over the field, so I don't think it will impact them that much. Like he was, And Kevin De Bruyne was not his star self last season, so Manchester City, I still think Manchester City will confidently win the overall Premier League season. Yeah, I think, yeah, like you said, City will still win the league and dominate. Uh, last season, you said Kevin De Bruyne was not himself. He was out of form for a bit, and City still won the title. Um, City have been linked with Lu- Lucas Paqueta from West Ham this summer, but it looks like those links have been diminished for confidential reasons, it was stated. I think I want City to get another player before the transfer window ends, just to have kind of like a backup and kind of like depth almost it doesn't even have to be like a Kevin De Bruyne style player they could get a winger and have Bernardo Silva and Jack Grealish play as midfielders as we saw in Newcastle and I also I think this is the I think it's very good for Holland that Kevin De Bruyne is out because we saw how Kevin De Bruyne and Holland are the perfect partnership you know like every striker has you know their partner that supplies them like it was Kane and Son. Yep. Who else was there? Vinny and Kareem Benzema. I think, you know, it's just a perfect partnership. And we saw last season that they can really pick each other out easily. Um, And since Kevin De Bruyne is out, this will force Holland to be more creative and get into spaces that he's not usually comfortable in and learn how to how to adapt to the other guys on the field and they're going to service him for now and I think you know he'll get used to not having Kevin De Bruyne you know what I mean yes I agree and like I said that um Foden will be there to help but he's not the same as De Bruyne helping Holland Holland's definitely going to have to figure out a new way 
a new strategy to get through to those spaces without having De Bruyne there by his side. Yeah, you can't just rely on one player to supply you because it's a team. Yep. And I think, you know, learning how to be more creative and getting other balls from other players, I think it'll be good for him. And, you know, I, they, I don't think they'll miss Kevin De Bruyne that much. Like, I don't think it'll impact them that much. They've got overall star players on that team. They'll be yeah. able to be very easily. Not very easily, but easily. Yeah, best team in the world, you know. Obviously, they're not going to win the treble, probably, but mm-hmm. I think they still won the Premier League. They definitely have a chance, yeah. Arsenal will go to Selhurst Park to play Crystal Palace on Monday without their new defender, Urien Timber, who sustained an ACL injury and will miss the entire first season of his Arsenal career. Kayla, what do you think of Urien's injury? Do you think Arsenal will be affected by this? Well, since Timber is a defender, he is an asset to Arsenal. However, with the strength of the team and a new signing of Declan Rice, who can he can help in defense, Arsenal will still be able to succeed. But I feel like Timber will have to rebuild his skills after he he heals from this because his injury was in his right knee, which is his like he uses his right foot. So I feel like it'll take him a little bit longer to get back on his feet and become the defender he was. Yeah, see I actually, maybe, um, I don't know if I agree or disagree with you, because you gave a very, like, neutral answer, but I actually don't think they'll miss him at all, because he literally played one game. Yeah. And I guess since he only played one game, it would be different if he had been there for a season and really established himself. But since he played one game, he didn't really influence that team and they don't rely on him. So they'll literally go back to the back four that they had last season and it won't be that big of a deal. Like they have Tommy Asu, they have Kieran Tierney, who I feel like a lot of people forgot about. And I think he should be a starter because he is so so good so underrated and they obviously have alexander zinchenko and i think they'll easily replace timber and like i said he hasn't been there for like a whole season you know he hasn't established himself into the side and i think they'll literally just go back to what they had last season yeah i actually agree with you completely on that they have he hasn't been there long enough to create an impact on the team and to have them rely on him yet they have all those players that they can definitely um, start with and go back to those first starting four. They won't. It won't change them dramatically at all. Yeah, hopefully he has a good speedy recovery and be back stronger next season. Yes. Arsenal will be traveling with their new goalkeeper, David Raya from Brentford. Raya will be joining the Gooners on a season-long loan, which will cost them £3 million with an option to buy at the end for £27 million. Kayla, do you think that David Raya will replace Aaron Ramsdale? I actually do think he will replace Aaron Ramsdale because Aaron Ramsdale was the number one for Arsenal last season, but Arteta is firm on excellence and Raya has developed into one of the best keepers in the league. He signed a season-long loan with Arsenal, but um, he still has his contract extension with Brentford, which will definitely, which is smart of him to keep his options open just in case yeah. if Arteta keeps Aaron Ramsdale's number one. Um... Rias, he started in Southport and quickly became a key player to them in any other dr- clubs. 
So with him constantly being a key player and number one on many other statistics that were proven, he will definitely become an excellent um, asset to Arsenal as, as a goalkeeper. Oh, okay. So I actually respectfully disagree with you. I know many people are saying that maybe David Rio will be the number one for Arsenal, but and replace Ramsey, but I don't think so. I I don't see why you would do that. This is just my opinion, obviously. But like Arsenal fans love Ramsdale. You know, he's won their trust, and he has that kind of spunk and kind of banter. Like, he's young. I'm not saying David Rye is old, but mm-hmm. um, Ramsdale is a really good young keeper, and there's so much ahead of him. Potential, like, potentially uh, replacing Pickford for England, as it seems that Gareth Southgate, we've seen in the last couple England camps, really rates him. And, yes, he's made some howlers once in a while, but when you're a goalkeeper, that happens. Like, you make mistakes. I can relate, you know. You can't be perfect all the time, and if you just have a bad day, it's fine. Raya is an incredible keeper and did so well at Brentford last season. Like, he was incredible. Like you said, you know, he's been very crucial wherever he went. But I think he will be the number two. I don't know why Arteta would be replacing Ramsdale for Raya. Because, you know, like I said, Ramsdale is so loved by Arsenal fans. That is their keeper, and he is so key to not just the fans but the team the team he's very loud he he understands the game he's very energetic and I I fully disagree with people who say Raya should be the number one I just don't understand I personally think that like Ramsdale is would also be a great number one and I think both of them would be really great as their number one keeper I'm not against either of them at all it's just I feel like since Arteta always strives for excellence in his games he's always wants to like have the, not the best, but like he wants to have the best possible he can lineup. And having um, David Raya would definitely help um, Ramsdale, not Ramsdale, <laughs> would definitely help Arteta create that lineup that he wants. I think it's like, it's hard when you bring in two, when you have a number one keeper and then you bring in another number one keeper. I don't understand why you would do that. Because they both have to play, you know, they're both so good. And I think bringing in Raya, well, you didn't really need him. I mean, Matt Turner left, but you could have brought in someone lesser, you know? I feel like him bringing in that other, the next number one, not the next, but the, another number one keeper would definitely have, is definitely like part of some probably strategy that he has of like, in case um, Ramsdale gets injured or Raya gets injured, he will definitely have a backup he can rely on because goalkeepers are very important in a game. And Arsenal. There was more action in the Premier League this weekend as Nottingham Forest took on Sheffield United and came away with a 2 1 win. Tyler and Wanui opened the scoring for Nottingham Forest, scoring in the third minute. Gustavo Hamar scored for Sheffield United in the 48th minute. And Chris Wood won the game for Nottingham Forest in the 89th minute. Fulham versus Brentford ended 0-3 as Yuan Wissa scored for Brentford in the 44th minute. Brian Mbumu scored a penalty kick in the 66th minute and scored again in the 92nd minute. Wolves versus Brighton ended 1-4 at the Molyneux as Mitoma scored in the 15th minute. Estupinian scored in the 46th minute. Solimar scored in the 51st and 55th minute. And He Chan scored a 
consolation goal for Wolves in the 61st minute. Aston Villa versus Everton ended 4-0 as Aston Villa bounced back after a loss to Newcastle in the first Premier League game. John McGinn opened the scoring in the 18th minute, Douglas Luiz scored a penalty in the 24th minute, Leon Bailey scored in the 51st minute, and John Duran scored in the 75th minute. And with all that being said, that wraps up Premier League Week 2. Thank you everyone for joining us today. Tune in next week.